Well, hello, beautiful. Hello there. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Hello, John. Hello, John. Hello, John. <laughs> hello. Hello, John. Welcome to the party, pal. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is? Hello, Poppy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind. I'm Kevin. And I'm Chris. And we made it to December of 1990. We watched a lot of movies. So many movies, so many not good ones. (laughs) 1990 was not my favorite year of the 90s. No, it clearly wasn't. But you know... I believe the worst is behind us. I'm praying that the worst is behind us. Well, both of us have looked ahead a little bit, and uh, we've seen there are a lot of gems coming up next year. 91 is a phenomenal year for movies, and I can't wait to do virtually every month that's in 1991. I'm looking forward to it big time for sure. Um, so this is it, though. We, we're finishing season one. Yep, and then we're going to do, we've decided to do a recap, which we're planning now. So it'll be 13 episodes per season. Ah, it's perfect. Sounds, I don't know why 13 is perfect, but. I like it. <laughs> Lucky <laughs> well, no, number 13. I'm just saying, it's just, it's nice to have that that recap, I think. Uh, just go quickly go through all the different uh, Oscar nominees, Oscar winners, and um the major couple, categories only. Do some couple of top 10 lists and stuff. And yeah, just give a quick shout out to some of our favorites that were in our podcast and some that weren't. And who uh, who doesn't love a top 10 list? I love a top 10 list. All right. So you want to button this year up? Let's go. Let's finish it off. Coming in at number 17, Come See the Paradise. It's a drama romance between Dennis Quaid and Tamlin Tamita, who's a Japanese-American It highlights the fact that during World War II, the Japanese were forced to live in internment camps. Um, So History piece. Yeah. It's set during World War II, uh, directed by Alan Parker, who also directed Mississippi Mississippi Burning and Midnight Express. Oh, those are two good movies. Yep. All right, coming in at number 16, Almost an Angel. Uh, It's a comedy grossing $6.6 million. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Come See the Paradise grossed just under a million. I forgot uh, what we do here. Big jump, though, here. $5 million up. Yep. All right. So, uh, again, uh, Almost an Angel coming in at number 16, a comedy that earns $6.6 million. A small-time crook becomes convinced he is an angel after a traumatic incident and resolves to perform the work of one. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is directed by John Cornell. Uh, he directed Crocodile Dundee 2. Mm. Starring Paul Hogan, who... <laughs> Start in Crocodile Dundee. Yes. That's a knife. That's a knife. Elias Coates. Coates? I don't know how to pronounce Coates. his name. Coates. He played Casey in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Nice. Uh, he's got a lot of small credits as well. And Linda Kowalski. Do you know who she is? Kowalski? Kowalski? No. Well, she plays Crocodile Dundee's girlfriend. <laughs> so I don't know what's happening in this movie, but it sounds like Dundee just wanted to make another Dundee. What's the political term for when you give your family and friends jobs? That would be nepotism. (laughs) Yes. I knew what it was, but I didn't know what it was. 
All right. Uh, not, not not a movie I really would care to see. I've seen this a, a handful of times. Why? Because I was ten or eleven, and it was on DVD, so that or VHS rather. So that's what you did. All right. Coming in at number fifteen, Alice, a uh, rom com, grows seven point three million. A spoiled Manhattan housewife reevaluates her life after visiting a Chinatown healer. Stars Mia Farrow, and it's written and directed by Woody Allen. So it's a Woody Allen movie. So if you like Woody Allen, watch this movie. <laughs> I'm probably sure most people have. <laughs> All right. Coming in at number 14, Havana, a drama romance war movie. Nice. Earning $9.2 million. In 1950s Cuba, a professional gambler falls for a woman heavily involved in the revolution movement. Mm-hmm. Directed by Sidney Pollack, directed Tootsie, The Firm. And Random Hearts. Nice. Uh, Starring Robert Redford, Lena Olin, and Alan Arkin. Well, Alan Arkin's in at least one other movie this month. I think there were like three other movies Alan Arkin was in this month. Coming in at number 13 is The Grifters, grossing almost $13 million. A mother and new girlfriend, both of whom are high-stakes grifters, have their own angles to play. It has a good cast, though. Stars John Cusack, Angelica Houston, and Annette Bening. It's produced by Scorsese, Mm. and it's directed by Stephen Frears, who directed Dangerous Liaisons, High Fidelity, which is also another John Cusack movie, and Lay the Favorite, which Lay the Favorite, excuse me, has Vince Vaughn in it. It's fairly new. I've never seen it. I want to see it. Also, I want to see this movie, The Grifters, because I'm a pretty big John Cusack fan. Yeah, same here, and I really like Angelica Houston, and I'll watch this with you. All right, that sounds good. Yeah. All right, coming in at number 12, The Long Walk Home. This is a drama history movie, earning $13.7 million. Two women, one white, one black, decide what they are going to do in response to the famous bus boycott led by Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. Directed by Richard Pierce. Uh, He hadn't directed anything notable. Starring Sissy Spacek, Whoopi Goldberg. And there's a role with Ving Rhames. Nice. I like Ving Rhames. Yeah, history pieces. I, I, I like history pieces. Uh doesn't really matter when they're set. Yeah. So period pieces. That's it. Period I'm on pieces. Board. Period. <laughs> Not history pieces. Period pieces. Thank you. All right. Number eleven. This is this is somewhat of a classic. The Bonfire of the Vanities. All right. Now I had seen it when I was younger. I had remembered nothing about it. This is a comedy, more or less comedy drama sort of. Uh, Bruce Willis, Tom Hanks, Melanie Griffith, Kim Cattrall, and Morgan Freeman. So um, that's a lot of people. I'll give you what what IMDb says about the movie, but then I'll I'll delve into the plot a little bit more because it kind of deserves it. So after his mistress runs over a young teen, a Wall Street hotshot sees his life unravel in the spotlight, excuse me, and attracting the interest of a down and out reporter. So Bruce Willis plays this kind of like sleazy reporter. And Tom Hanks is like a Wall Street billionaire, like multimillionaire, has a whole ton of money, right? He's cheating on his wife with Melanie Griffith, who, by the way, is smoking hot in this movie. They're going to Manhattan or coming from Long, you know, going back to Long Island or something. They get off in the Bronx by accident. They're kind of like held up almost by these two guys. And uh, Melanie Griffith guns the car, kind of hits this kid, does hit this kid, and they, they, they drive off. So then the whole thing starts to unravel with Tom Hanks and they're, the cops are looking for somebody. They got a couple numbers off the plate. It's his Mercedes. And I guess, so it is funny at times. It's it's funny to see Bruce Willis doesn't play a Bruce Willis role. He's like a like a nerdy, he's a drunk. 
and he's kind of like a loser that just kind of stumbles into the spotlight right. by by breaking this story. And so the, really the the point of this story is that there's a mayor that's up for re-election. He, he's in the Bronx. So all the he feels that if he can find like a white like well-to-do scapegoat so he could nail him to the cross so to speak, right? And then hopefully win the hearts of, of the, the rest of the, the minorities who are going to have all the votes in his district, right. right? So Tom Hanks ends up being that guy that they're trying to hang for this thing when he didn't really do it. At the end, Morgan Freeman plays the judge and Morgan Freeman is head and shoulders. I love love Tom Hanks. I love Bruce Willis. Morgan Freeman's performance blows everybody else's out of the water. And he refuses to hang Tom Hanks even after the, he shows evidence that it wasn't him, he has a tape that he procures with Melanie Griffith saying she was the one that was driving the car. And the, the whole crowd, the whole courtroom still calling for him to be sentenced. And Morgan Freeman has like this little dissertation at the end about how you know this isn't justice, you don't want justice, and it was really good. And whenever you get a monologue from... Uh an angry monologue from Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. I, I want to listen. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was really, really good. This movie's a thousand percent worth the watch. Okay, it's something I'm definitely going to put on my list. Yep. All right. Uh, coming in at number 10, Hamlet. Obviously, we all know Hamlet, the, Shakespe the Shakespearean play. Mm. Uh, it's a drama earning $20.7 million. Uh, we all know what Hamlet's about, but in case you don't, Hamlet, the prince of Dem Denmark, finds out his uncle Claudius killed his father to obtain the throne and plans revenge. Uh, they leave out the falling in love with his mother and uh, <laughs> that, but um, directed by Franco Zeffirelli, who is an Italian director, and notably, all his IMDb is all Shakespearean plays. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, starring Mel Gibson, Glenn Close, and Helena Bonham Carter. Okay. Uh, also, just a note, we're doing the major releases. Hamlet says it was a limited release, but it's number one with Mel Gibson, and number two grows $20.7 million. Like, and number three, I think most people know about Mel Gibson's Hamlet. Yeah. So, All right, moving on. Number nine, the rookie in action movie grows $21.6 million. A veteran detective gets stuck with a rookie cop when in pursuit of a German crook. Starring Clint Eastwood and Charlie Sheen and Raul Julia, who is Sandy the lawyer and presumed innocent. Uh, oh, also has, I liked him, Raul. Yeah, yeah, he was a good actor. Also has Lara Flynn Boyle in it, and this one was directed by Clint Eastwood. You know, I'm interested in Clint Eastwood-directed movies. I mean, uh, Gran Torino I thought was great. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. The the le later in his career, Clint Eastwood, I'm I'm into the earlier spaghetti western stuff. Um, well, this is never really a fan. This of. doesn't look like a spaghetti western. No, this is it's kind of like a comedy. Charlie Sheen in there. Yeah, I mean, it's like an action comedy. Sort oh, is of it? Thing. No, yeah. I don't want to watch that. I I want serious drama. I want when 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 it's a Clint Eastwood film, I want like something really horrible happening. Mm. <laughs> yeah. All right, number eight, The Russia House. This is a drama romance thriller uh, earning 22.9. We can call this $23 million. Mm -hmm. uh, an expatriate British publisher unexpectedly finds himself working for British intelligence to investigate people in Russia. Directed by Fred Chapizzi. He directed Roxanne and Six Degrees of Separation. Starring Sean Connery, 
Michelle Pfeiffer and Roy Scheider. Yeah, that's a good cast. Yeah, that's a good cast. Uh, I don't know. The, the 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 IMDb explanation doesn't really get me too excited about it, but you see those three names in, in one movie, and I think I might give it a try. <laughs> yeah, I, I would watch it. You, I, There's so many movies to watch and so many movies that I have watched, and now continuing with this, we're watching so many movies. It makes it hard to like watch the entire filmography of somebody like Roy Scheider. Yeah. Which which he deserves, you know? I mean, I've seen him in things other than Jaws. Obviously, Jaws probably being my all-time favorite movie. Before you get to the Roy Scheider filmography, maybe start with Sean Connery? I don't know. I'd probably prefer Roy Scheider's. <laughs> uh, all right, anyway, number seven, Green Card. Uh, rom-com grossing $29.8 million. Now here, this one's a bit confusing. It wasn't released on, in the U.S. until February of 1991. <clears throat> It's only a couple months ahead, and off of the list that we go by, it's not on February 1991, so I didn't want to leave it out, so I just put the disclaimer in. But it has, uh, it's about a man wanting to stay in the U.S. He enters into, the mar- into a marriage of convenience, but it turns out to be more than that. Uh, Andy McDowell from Groundhog's Day. Gerard Depardieu, is, um, he's also in it. Uh, directed by Peter Weir. He, this, he, he has a pretty good... Uh, track record. Oh, uh, yeah, I know Peter Weir. Dead Poet Society, Witness with Harrison Ford, The Truman Show, just to name a few. I like all three of those movies, so. Yep. All right. Um, Coming in at number six. So this is a movie you probably I have refuse. seen a thousand times. You probably love this movie. No. As a, as a kid, <laughs> my mother made me watch this movie multiple times. So you're saying you're not a share fan? I, I don't there's no way I could stomach this as an adult. No way. <laughs> so the name of the movie is Mermaids. It's a comedy earning thirty five million dollars. As I just mentioned, it's starring Cher, Bob Hoskins, who you love Bob Hoskins. Love Bob Hoskins. Uh Winona Ryder and Christina Ricci's first movie. Nice. Yeah. Uh an unconventional single mother relocates with her two daughters to a small Massachusetts town in nineteen sixty three where a number of events and relationships both challenge and strengthen their familial familial bonds. So this isn't Christina Ricci from Black Snake Moan, where she's... It's probably closer to Christina Ricci from Adam's Family. <laughs> I prefer the latter, <laughs> or the former, rather. Um, so this is directed by Richard Benjamin, who actually directed one of my childhood favorite movies, Milk Money. Why? Because the stepmother has big boobs? Yeah, and then they do that whole anatomy scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, number five, and I'm so oh, glad... Oh, another movie that Kevin loved. I'm so glad we don't have to watch this movie again. Look Who's Talking too. But it's Kirstie Alley. You love Kirstie Alley. Oh, she's my favorite. The woman who looks like she perpetually smells. <laughs> <laughs> Grossing $46.6 million stars. John Travolta, who's either he's either a zero or a ten. Kirstie Alley, who's always a zero. <laughs> and then you have the voices. Bruce Willis, Roseanne Barr, Damon Wayans, Gilbert Godfrey, Mel Brooks. Directed by Amy Hackerling. She directed, she has a great resume. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Johnny Dangerously. European Vacation, Look Who's Talking 1 and 2, and Clueless. Wow. The, all right. So I know. With the exception of part two, Look Who's Talking 1, maybe. Right. And I understand your hatred for these movies because it's Kirstie Alley. Because you, you really just hate Kirstie Alley. They're not the worst movies. You can understand where they fit into the 80s I, and early 90s. Yeah, like, I definitely understand. Like, it's, it's place. 
but I, I'm just I'm, there's no way that I'm doing it again. What you don't want to watch John Travolta and Kirstie Alley dance around with a child's potty screaming, chanting "pee pee in the potty, no. pee pee in the potty." Yeah, no, that's, you're into that. Just made me nauseous. <laughs> All right, moving on. Coming in at number four. So this is a movie you said you just watched recently. Yep. Awakenings. It's a biodrama earning fifty one point six million dollars. The victims of an encephalitis epidemic many years ago have been catatonic ever since, but now a new drug offers the prospect of reviving them. So this seems like a pretty serious movie directed by Penny Marshall, who has an incredible resume. She directed Big, A League of Their Own, and Riding in Cars with Boys, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. So this is starring Robert De Niro, Robin Williams, and Julia Kavner. Uh, so she's the voice of Marge Simpson. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yet. Yeah. And uh, John Hurt is in, in this movie as well. Um, so tell me about it. You you just watched it. Yeah. So I remember I had seen this a long time ago and just, I don't know, I guess my memory fills up with quotable movies and, you know, not so much movies like this, but Robin Williams, one of my all time favorite actors, De Niro also, this movie's super sad. It starts off De Niro's a young kid. He's fine gets this illness and progresses over the course of time where he's basically catatonic, can't move, can't speak. He's helpless. Robin Williams is a new doctor, but he was doing research and they, this hospital was in need of a doctor. So they gave him a job that he wasn't really qualified for. That being the case, he was, he took a different approach. He was looking through their files and saw that uh, they had like atypical this, atypical that. And he's like, he says at one point, shouldn't all these atypicals add up to something typical? So he finds that they all had encephalitis at some point, and it transformed into... The catatonic state. Yes. Okay. Fast forward, to make a long story short, uh, he finds this... He goes to some seminar, some whatever you call it, um, dissertation. Fine, whatever. And there's this new drug that they're talking about. He wants to try it on the patients. He does. And the first person he tries it on is De Niro. And De Niro, after, you know, uh, X amount of times of trying a do certain amount of dosage, certain milligrams, De Niro's up. He's walking around. He's talking. So he's like, fine. He's fine. Right. So then they have like 10 of these people in this hospital. They tried on all of them. They're all they're up. They're dancing. They're they're back. They and these people have been catatonic. De Niro was catatonic for 20, 30 years. Oh, I'm going to hate the ending of this. Because years, it's like right? you get all excited that they're waking up and something happens. It's the saddest thing ever because this is a true story or based on a true story anyway. Um, so the medicine stops working. So these people who realize that they were in this state, and he says, it's, he says there's nothing there when you're in this state. De Niro says it's more or less the same as being dead. Okay. They get their lives back. All their loved ones, you know, De Niro's mother who's been taking care of him this whole time. She gets to interact with him and it goes away again. They all go back to being catatonic at the end. That sucks. That's the fucking worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm sitting there. I'm just fighting back tears. I'm like, this is horrible. Oh, Kevin cried. No, I almost, uh, I wish I could have seen that anyway. So <laughs> it, it's a really good movie, but like, if you're looking for something jovial, please do not it's watch It's not going to be movie. uplifting. No, it's not. Well, and, I mean, at least they got to spend a little more time with their loved ones. We can look at it like that. I mean, yeah. Well, then, the, you know, the De Niro says when he's back, like he says that you people don't know what you're doing. Like you don't you're you're missing out on life. He's he's he says you don't know how to live, work, play, friends, family. He's like, you're not appreciating any of it. 
and and then at the end robin williams who never really he says like never had a girlfriend he was never married or whatever and the the woman uh julie kavner julia kavner julie kavner sorry um he goes out and asks her for to go out for a cup oh. of coffee so realizes that you know taking get a date well taking robin uh de niro's robert de niro's advice so all right anyway there it is but good movie worth a watch so, so there's three movies here that uh i want to give it a chance um Hopefully I can get to them I'm in the middle of a move. So I don't know if I'm going to have the time to watch these extra movies, but I'm definitely going to give it a try. All right. All right. So on to number three, Edward Scissorhands. Grossing $54 million. From me, I'm as harmless as cherry pump. Those are your hands. Those are your hands. I think you should just come home with me. Joyce, I just saw this strange guy driving with Peg. Did you get a good look at it? Hi! Scissors. Whoa! Like a handshake you got there, Ed. <laughs> Kim, this is Edward who's gonna live with us. Well, this must be quite a change for you, right, Ed? Those things are cool. Can I bring him to show and tell on Monday? He's a highly imaginative character. It seems clear that his awareness of what we call reality is radically underdeveloped. Eddie, you take my very breath away. Do you have a girlfriend? Oh. <laughs> is there some special lady in your life? Skewered kid. Just a scratch. The power of Satan is in him. I can feel it. All along, I felt in my gut there was something wrong with him. From Tim Burton comes the most incredible tale of a most unusual character. Edward Scissorhands. Hold me. All right, so let's talk about this for a second. First of all, directed by Tim Burton. Why is Tim Burton so weird? I'm not a fan. Uh, it's not that I'm not a fan because I can see what he does well with movies, but just everything just feels... Okay, so the whole, like, the suburbia, the perfect suburbia, I got what he was trying to do there. But then, like, I noticed, like, everything was color-coded. Like, all the houses were color-coded. Yeah, and then, like, pastels. The, the, the pastels. And then the whole feeling of just, like, the, the, he sets up this whole, like, new world. Like, the mountain that the mansion's on top of. It just didn't fit. And he obviously purposely did that. And everyone is just so, like, a their own individual, like... It's not a like, character. It's like a caricature. It's like an right, old, yes. it's an exaggerated whatever like, it is. And everything's always exaggerated, which is which is fine when you're talking about Edward Scissorhands, you know, because like obviously he's supposed to be this like created by a scientist being. Like fine, great. Yeah, but, I think it took it took away from his, like, I almost hit, felt like Edward Scissorhands was more normal than everyone else in the town. Maybe that's what he was trying to do. Yeah, I don't know. Well, all right, so let's get into Let's not skip our categories. So Johnny Depp plays Edward Scissorhands. Winona Ryder plays Kim. 
Uh, Anthony Michael Hall was good to see him. Fantastic. Uh, plays Jim. He's the antagonist. Uh, Diane West plays Peg, who's the mom. And Alan Arkin, I thought, did a great job. He was the dad, right? Yeah, he's he played, fantastic. Played Bill, who's the dad. Yeah, he's great. So I, I succinctly wrote down the plot. So let, let me give it to you. So Edward Scissorhands uh, lives in a bleak castle looming high above a pastel suburb. Peg, the Avon lady, comes calling one day, takes Ed home with her. She and the family try to acclimate him to normal suburban life, but he's unable to, and the locals seem unwilling after treating him like a new toy that they got bored of. So I, I mean, that pretty much just sums up the entire movie. Yeah. There's, no, there's like nothing to be said after you read that. The boy, I, ha I really thought about it because I was like, am I missing something? I was like, is this like a twisted Pinocchio? It doesn't feel like that. I was like, what is this? But I, I, I kind of think that Tim Burton did his own thing here. But I think that like... He, he didn't really no message if he was trying to like if he had a point nothing really landed other than the fact that like they all loved him when he was new but then when they couldn't like when so, they realized he really wasn't different yeah or or like the like when they couldn't get what they wanted out of him then they kind of got bored of him and wanted him to go away and like ruthlessly yeah yeah like <laughs> like frankenstein like pitchforks and torches yeah, sort of wild thing. yeah um but I will say this. Maybe it's a don't judge a book by its cover story. I mean, but but it's not like they were even scared of him at first. They were, like, willing to accept him right away. So oh, yeah. well, the one, the horny girl wanted to bang don't, him. Don't get me sorry. I have a lot to say about her. Well, let's get to it because okay. I want to talk about her. Let me just say this. Fuck Joyce. <laughs> She's the worst, isn't she? Literally. First of all, the character is terrible. Terrible. Like, it serves no purpose for her to be so horny for everything. It did, anything that moved, she was trying to jump at the bones. The pl the the plumber, the plumber. Then immediately meeting Edward, like talking, like all like horny How? about his scissors. And it's like, well, what's he gonna do with those scissors? That's gonna make you feel good. Probably nothing. <laughs> what? Why? Why did she have an orgasm in the chair when he cut her hair? It made no sense. I, I mean, I I'm not a woman who's been into a guy with scissor hands so i can't answer that question <laughs> you have no no way to elaborate no real life experience Yo, but then she, she then she tries to straight up rape him yeah and, and then, then goes and tells everyone else that he tried to rape her yeah fuck joyce yeah no i agree with you i thought that Depp did a really good job in this movie he all right my notes i said he's so perfectly strange yes just he he he, he doesn't miss a beat he he's the whole time he's Edward, and it's just this awkward. He barely has any lines, and it's amazing. So then I want to talk about the scene where he's he gets angry, like and he starts. So he goes in the bathroom and he's ripping up the the walls oh, and the shower curtain. Yeah, well, that's like later in the movie. It's towards the end. Yeah, yeah that that's after. Um, so I don't know. It, was, it would seemed out of character. Like he seemed to be like a a peaceful guy and. Right, well, but was, at, at that point though he'd been pushed, he's pushed, pushed, he's pushed you know? up. He, he was he was taking it on the chin every every step of the way for Winona's character and finally he just had enough and he lost it and I'm okay with him showing the emotion because it's important you know because from that point on he's really like on, uh, on the edge ready to just L take off let me ask you another question that didn't make sense to me what did he do to make Winona Ryder's character fall in love with him I yeah. say nothing I say nothing too. I think it was just supposed to be the fact that he was so pure and just innocent and loving. That he was simply there, so she. Fell yeah, in love I don't with think him. it was necessarily that he was there. I think I, they give you that one moment where she's like, uh, "That was what was Anthony Michael Hall's character's name again?" Uh, Jim. Jim. She's like, "That was Jim's house that you know we robbed," and he was like, 
I, I knew it was Jim's house before we got there. And she's just like, then why'd you do it? And he's like, because you asked me to. I think they gave you that one moment where he basically said he would do anything for her. Yeah. And Jim being that dickhead boyfriend who like <laughs> made her do whatever he wanted all the time. Which was such a nice turn for my Anthony Michael 100%. Hall to play the dick. And when did he turn into like a, lo- a linebacker-sized guy? He was when did big. that happen? <laughs> big guy. And not like fat. Like it wasn't like he yeah, gained no, weight. Like he got, like, got big guy. and yeah. tall. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, I, Hard to I, recognize when him. I finally, when it finally clicked in my head that it was Anthony Michael Hall, I was like, wait a minute. Because he Is made, it? I had to look it up just to make sure. He made one face he, like with his eyes that was Anthony Michael yeah. Hall and I was like, ah, oh, there he is. But it was nice seeing him not be the nerd yes it was good (laughs) anything else you want to discuss before we move on i know we kind of kept this real short no i just want to go back again about joyce and how much she sucked yeah what about the uh i didn't write her name down but the um the god-fearing woman saying that he was the devil i thought i actually thought she was a good character i thought she was like you needed her and i liked how strange she was because she was the one that was like like everyone was strange, but like without a purpose for being strange. Right. Yeah. She was strange, and like you understood why she was strange. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and she needed to be the one that got everyone to, uh, uh, to take their pitchforks out. You know. Yeah, she was. All right. All right. So best scene. Uh, best scene. I actually have a few. Okay. Uh, my first best scene is um like any origins movie when he's first trying to acclimate to their to the the outside world, and she gives him his clothes and. Sends him into Kim. That was her name. Yeah, Kim's room, and he's trying to put the clothes on, and he's like ripping the buttons off, and he falls down, and he puts the holes in the waterbed, and he takes the stuffed animal. I love it. He just puts the stuffed animal on it. I don't know why that plugged up the hole, but I'm so happy it did. And then when he put the stuffed animal down, it made a little squeak. Yeah, <laughs> that whole that was, scene was fun. Yeah, I like that. All right, so I only have one favorite scene, but it it, it kind of like mushes two scenes together. So. When Winona Ryder's character comes home. Yes, and, I, this has one of my scenes. Now. And he's sleeping in a bed and she freaks out. But like, so that the house is erupted in chaos, right? <laughs> Edward's like walking up and the down the halls, not knowing where wall, to go. His hands down at his side. Yeah, he's literally like, just like closing around. <laughs> has no idea what to do. And then like, so, and then the father is like casually yes. like, like ushering people back into their rooms. He's so <laughs> calm. So that was my, and then they go downstairs yes, and he makes it's them, lemonade. Yeah. He makes them drink the whiskey. So th- that was kind of like two scenes, but I call it one. No, that was one whole scene. It all went together. I had it all together as well. All right. Uh, my other favorite scene was when the psychiatrist goes on this like uh, rant and he's talking to the cop. Yes. Um, I really like that. He goes on this, yeah. He goes on this long-winded rant about how de- delusional and out, out of touch with reality Edward is, and how he'll never be able to be a normal human being. And, yeah. And the cops just like, wait, but what I'm asking you, is he going to be all right out there? He goes, oh yeah, 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 I'll be fine. <laughs> the way he delivered the line was exactly <laughs> like that too. That was good. I did like that. I just didn't write it down. Yeah. All right, worst scene. Uh, worst scene was Joyce trying to rape him because. Mm. To, I, I I mean maybe it was a good scene in that like it it got the emotions that it was trying to get out of me but honestly I think you could get where this movie went without trying to rape someone yeah I I I don't I it was anytime Joyce was on screen so I gave the haircutting scene it's because okay, I can get on board with that anytime Joyce was on, the plumber scene anything anything she did pissed me off yeah best role best role was Anthony Michael Hall for me. As wow. the boyfriend. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed him. And maybe it has a lot to do with just because he wasn't typical Anthony Michael Hall. That's fair. But like, I really enjoyed everything he did. Okay, so Johnny Depp um, stole the show. Outside of Johnny Depp, 
which you know he's supposed to steal the show. He's the he's, he's Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp number yeah. one, and number two he's the main character. I'm trying so. not to be like that. That's obvious. fine. My other one because I found Alan Arkin's role, the dad, how he was always so calm and collected and and reasonable and rational. I just found that to be in this world of which was basically pure chaos all the time, and he was like the only sane one. Yeah. And he just—he he was never upset by anything. No, nope. nothing. Nope. He, his Remember wife he, brought home this guy, this this thing of a man, <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, he's like, I bet there's gonna be a real change for you, huh?" <laughs> or when he's on the roof and he's rolling the snow out on the roof, he's singing the Christmas. He carol. sees Edward walk away, and he comes down. And everyone's freaking out. He's like, "Where's he? I don't know. Let's go find him." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he just wandered off. <laughs> All right. So worst role is obvious. This is Joyce the horny neighbor? Yeah. Okay. Oh, but I love I like the mom though too. Everyone did a great job. Yeah, jo- Joyce. Except for she she played it's not the that role. She did a bad job. She played the, like role. the role. It's just a bad role. Yeah. That's I, I mean I don't know the actress so. All right, most quotable lines. My, my most quotable line was that exchange with the psychiatrist and the uh, and the cop. I w- I wanted to do that, but the 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 dialogue it was pretty lengthy, so I didn't. So I went with <laughs> when they're barbecuing, and the dad goes, "Okay, everybody, grab a plate, soups on." And then Ed goes, "I thought this was shish kebab." But the way he says it, I thought this was. Shish kebab. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, what? I thought this was shish kebab. And then right right before that was a good scene too, with all the all the uh, all the housewives coming to shoving shoveling food in his face. Yeah, that was. Was fun um i did have another line but i can't remember the context of it so i don't know if <laughs> i want to hear it let's see if i can remember i i remember it sparking joy in my life but i don't remember the context <laughs> so it's not going to make any sense but <laughs> they're talking about edward it's someone talking about edward and they're blaming television i guess and oh like, yes damn those tv programs and someone just talking, damn them to hell yes no that's the mother and the father when they're in uh when he's in jail and she, they're talking about like how he got there, like he's like their little boy growing up and went went foul. <laughs> so there, she's like, "Damn those TV programs!" <laughs> and Alan Arkin behind her is like, "Damn them the hell!" Yeah, <laughs> that was good. Yes. All right, I'm ready to move on. You have anything else for this? Uh, no, I just liked, I liked the cop that was totally on Edward's side. Yes, he was the only, he was the only other reasonable one. Right, and I like that when Edward ran into his house, he you know fired his gun, made him, oh, I got him, he's gone. Yeah. And even though it didn't work, he was trying to protect Edward. I liked him. Yeah, good, he was good, good. I called him good guy cop. <laughs> he was a good guy cop. <laughs> All right, moving on. Wait, hold on. Oh, I'm sorry. So I would recommend this movie. Oh, yeah. As weird as Tim Burton is. Yeah. I enjoyed it. You know what? This movie made me feel like it made me feel when I was a kid, which was how all Tim Burton movies make me feel, which is like uneasy. It's, I mean, I would watch, if you've never seen it, I would say watch it, but you, I, I, I'll probably never put this on again. All right. I mean, like I said, I enjoyed it. It's I would watch it again. I didn't not, I, I, sh- I don't know. I should find a way to, to clarify what I mean. I didn't not enjoy it. It's definitely worth the watch. But it's not in your top. It's not. Movies. It's just not my kind of movie. Like yeah. I don't like Tim Burton movies. I don't like Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't like Frankenweenie. I don't like anything he's ever really done. Sweeney Todd. No, I I couldn't even get through that. Oh, all right. So you're just not a Tim Burton fan. That that's that's basically. So what basically, it you're down. not a Johnny Depp fan then either. Stop your lies <laughs> and slander. All right, moving on. We have a lot to talk about. Ooh, coming in at number two. Yep. The Godfather Part Three. Earning. $66.6 million. That number, you know, it's an omen.
we've sold the casinos. We have no interest in anything religious. The church owns the large corporation. Worth six billion dollars. Don Corleone, this deal can make you one of the richest men in the world. Friends, our business together is done. Partners, they're unhappy. They think you abandoned them. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Mr. Corleone, we have a problem. I said we make him dead. You give me the order, I'll take care of it. It's not personal, Godfather. It's only business. the only one left in this family with my father's strength. Call yourself Vincent Corleone. Our true enemy has not yet shown his face. When they come, they'll come at what you love. So, look, every movie fan knows what The Godfather is about. So, part three. Before we get into it, let's just discuss that. So, as you all know, I've made my my ill claims about The Godfathers and not being a fan. So, since Godfather part three was coming up, Kevin made me rewatch part one and part two. And I have to say, I I think I've turned a leaf because Godfather part two, I mean... I wanted to not like it because I had convinced myself I didn't in the past. It's probably the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> that movie was three and a half hours of just pure enthrallment. Yeah, joy. Yeah. That's and, joy. That's... And, I, and I had to watch it because I couldn't watch Godfather Part 3 without having a good understanding of Godfather Part 2. Yes. And then I watched Godfather Part 3. And I wanted to take the scissors sitting on my desk and gouge my eyes out because what I was watching was so far removed from what Godfather part two was. I couldn't even imagine that it was in the same vein no, it's, of existence. It, it, that's why it stops at two. It, it, like, so you have to watch Godfather three once just to say you've seen it and then you never watch it again. I will never, never watch one scene of that movie ever again. I hadn't watched this movie in at least 10 years, at least 10 years. And I got to be honest with you, when I watched it by myself, I, I it wasn't as bad as I remembered it. Oh, no, it's worse. No, I don't. Uh, I'm Bro, not going to say that. Because the mafia was making deals with the Pope. Come on. Yeah, it was silly, but it wasn't as bad as as I remembered it. All right. So the, the plot of the movie this time, Michael's trying to go legit. He wants to buy into a Mobilari, which is a company that's basically ran and owned by the Vatican. And uh, he finds out that. The Vatican's in financial troubles troubles because of what this one cardinal did. So he's going to buy in for $600 million to straighten out the, the Vatican's financial problems. So he And in turn, he wants to head a mobile R. I guess in that sense, like when you put it like that, okay, yeah, I guess the, the, the Catholic Church is supposedly corrupt, right? Or it is corrupt, let's be real. Um, and why not? If you're a mobster that has $600 million to get them out of there, help them get out of $700 million worth of debt... 
why why wouldn't the Vatican side with them, right? I guess so. I I guess I can see how it happened. Yeah. So, um, and then there's people inside the Vatican that are crooked that he learns, and then the other families, uh, they won't let him out. Uh, they want to be part of uh, his venture with Omobolari. So, uh, basically, it's. Him realizing that the legitimate world or the, the so-called legitimate world is not legitimate at all. And, you know, because he was a gangster before, the things don't really operate that much differently when you reach a certain level in the quote-unquote legitimate world. And then you get the one good line in the movie. Which is? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. That's, <laughs> I think I love that line because Silvio did it so many times on The Sopranos. <laughs> I love his version more than I love... The, I like Al Pacino's version. I don't know. He, he, he hit that one. And I was saying, too, like, I'm not the biggest Al Pacino fan, right? So why I don't like Al Pacino is because he's always screaming, right? Because he's, he's Al Pacino. Yeah, he's yeah. always talking like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So that's why I don't like Al Pacino. Yeah. And that's why I thought Godfather and Godfather Part Two were so amazing because you had this controlled, like, well-established, well-in-control version of Al Pacino. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. Yeah. And then Part Three... Al Pacino was now Al Pacino, screaming and yelling every chance he got. Yeah. And that threw me off, too. So uh, let's talk about problems with the movie. There's so many problems. Number one, was this like whole movie 80 yard? Because it sounded like the, the, the sound was off. It sounded hollow. Well, here's the problem. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola wanted to put his daughter into the movie. <laughs> and she was atrocious and a train wreck and didn't know how to act. So she had to go back and ADR 90% of her lines because she probably was just screwing up every line left and right. She was unwatchable. You want to talk about nepotism? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My God, she was terrible. She she didn't know how to like make a human face, first of all. Uh, second of all, like her, her line delivery was like this. Yeah, yeah. It was Hi. like very like uh, breathy. Is but, that a word? Yeah. It was like, <sighs> Vincent. <laughs> Hi, I'm your little cousin. <laughs> Which let's talk Come about save that. Me. Let's talk about that. D- this, so this is it's it's, so unnecessary. It's, it, this movie's set in 1979, right? So unnecessary. There's you have an entire world of people out there, but yet you have this infatuation with your first cousin. Why is that part of the storyline? It doesn't make sense because you don't need Vincent to be Sonny's son. No, I, I, no, I, you, I. Who would Vincent be? Can, I love the fact that he's Sonny's son. Okay, so fine. Then you don't... The whole idea is he needed a reason to hand the family over to Vincent. His reason to hand the family over to Vincent was stop stop your thing with my daughter. It's unnatural. Well, I, I don't like the fact that he handed the anything over to Vincent because he was an idiot. The kid was a knucklehead. And I they don't really say how long he was with Michael for. Great. So make Vincent, Vincent, let Vincent be there a sunny son. Fine. Get another guy who Vincent and this guy have been working together forever and have him have the thing with Mary so that we don't have some gross cousin to cousin nonsense going on. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that I didn't like. And then, so, all right. So here's my take on the entire movie, right? This, this one in particular, more so than the rest of them was about the importance of family, right? Michael wanted to be with his kids, tries his best to make things right with Kay again. And Kay is by far the worst part of The Godfather. She's necessary, but also she's... They, she's 
they do it in a way where she's unreasonable. Like, I, I would argue that she's more reasonable in part three than in part two. But like part two, I feel like she she had a right to be unre- unreasonable. Okay, look, I I don't I just I, the the so my point in short is that K is the worst part of part one and two, and they make her basically a, a centralized focus of part three. I don't want to watch that movie. That's not the movie that I want to see here. Like I made a note that she's in the beginning of Acts one, two, and three, so they they obviously had her as a central theme to what was going on. Another thing was that I think I feel like they took shortcuts, right? The symmetry of killing Joey Zaza on Mulberry Street during the parade, the same way that they did the Black Hand in right. Part Two. It's it's like they they did that just because okay, we could call back to that great scene from yeah. Part they two want you, and they want you, you to could, remember how good Two which, was, which is we watched this together, and that's exactly what I said. I was like, oh, it's just like uh, Vito going for his hit, and then all of a sudden there's Vincent hit, making his hit, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're you're clearly just re- recycling old storylines. And then uh, what's with all of the oranges in this movie? Oranges, yeah, but all they're over all the over place. the Godfather Part Two as well. So I think like what is with oranges in the Godfather? Series? Well, it's because of Part One that I think, uh, without my knowledge of being right. of knowing that I'm right, I'm pretty sure I'm right in the sense that Godfather One did the oranges. That became like some sort of, um, I guess foreshadowing or what have you a thing with oranges and orange juice and movies they took that from that point on through now as you know a a signal for death in in movies but they i don't i just i think they did it for way too often in part three i don't i didn't understand it i don't know i wasn't that bothered by the oranges (laughs) and then another thing that they did was so i in part one if you remember luca brazi the, God, the Don tells Luca to go over to the other family, tell him you're not happy with our oh, family, right. figure, then, out what they do, figure out what they have planned. And right? then that's exactly what Michael does with Vincent. You know, so again, like you can't have any new ideas in this movie. So, they, the, so Michael sends I, Vincent over to Don Antebella to figure out I think what the whole, he wants. Like, the whole idea is this movie should have never happened. This, yeah. this to me is a cash grab. And it kind of makes me sad because it's like, First of all, you're, you're going to do this, like, condense it to two two hours, two and a half hours. Don't make me sit through another three-hour and 20-minute movie. Second of all, it's like you're playing with fire, man. You're taking what is now, uh, what, 13 years old at this point, like, four to 16 years old, right? Yeah. You're taking a 16-year-old movie that's already a classic after 16 years, I'm sure, at this time. And you're just going to totally dishonor its... Well, it's, it's people's, it's greed. It's their inability to stop when they were ahead. But then like, all right, so for clarity, I, I didn't watch The Godfather Part 3. I watched, what was it called? The, uh, they, their new, whatever it's called. It's a brand new edited version, but it wasn't hardly different. It was hardly different, whatever. But Francis Ford Coppola starts the movie off like he, like as like an introduction. This is my cut, what I wanted the original take to look like. Yeah. And like, it's so perfect, perfect and blah, 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 blah. It's like. No, bro, come on. We all know this movie's trash. Don't try and spice it up, right? Like, just back off. Let it have been what it was. And now I, you're insulting me by trying to tell me, like, this is what you were always wanted it to be. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't any better. I watched most of that with you, and I watched the, the original version by itself because I own the box set. Like uh, a true movie fan, I own the box set of The Godfather. <laughs> well, I'm only recently 
swayed in my decision on The Godfather. All right, let's get to categories here. Okay, so uh, first, the director, Francis Ford Coppola. He uh, wrote this along with Mario Puzo. Oh, interesting fact. Mm. I went to elementary school with Mario Puzo's granddaughter. That's fun. Yeah. And uh, he directed, obviously, Godfather 1, 2, and 3, also Apocalypse Now, and The Outsiders, among many others. Uh, this movie stars Pacino as Michael Corleone, Diane Keaton as Kay Adams, Talia Shire as Connie, the sister. Andy Garcia plays Vincent, who's Sonny's bastard kid. Uh, Eli Wallace plays Don Altobello. Uh, Joe Montaigne plays Joey Zaza. And Sofia Coppola plays uh, Michael's daughter, Mary. I mean, she tries. She tries to play Michael's daughter, <laughs> Mary. All right, so best scene. Best scene for me is the uh, <laughs> when uh, Vincent's got the reporter in his bed. First of all, how, it was weird that she told him she loved him. But there's no... I didn't get it. Well, like, they just met. It was a one-night stand, and she's professing her love to him in his bed. But that's not the part that was the best. The part that was the best was the way the two guys come in and try to give him a hit. Like, try to hit him. <laughs> yeah. What's the word? What do you say? They try to kill him. Right. And the way he handles the whole situation is just phenomenal. <laughs> He's so calm, cool. Just blows the one guy's head off. Tells the other guy, here, have a smoke. Calm down. Just tell me who it was. Uh, you'll be fine. He tells him who it was. Boom, blows his head off. I love that you could see a picture of Sonny behind Andy Garcia in that scene. Yeah, that was that whole scene. That was like that movie like gave me like hope that this might be pretty. That scene gave me hope that this movie might be pretty good. But yeah. that's, that's where it ended for me. I didn't, wasn't happy about any other scene in this whole movie. All right, so I have two favorite scenes. Um, Pacino confessing the murder of Fredo to um, the Cardinal. See, I had issues with that scene. I thought Pacino acted it well. That's not my issue with that scene. That's fine. Pacino was great in that scene. I like the way he broke down. I like the way he, like, you felt the emotion. You felt the energy. It was, it was good. What I don't like is I don't think the Catholic Church absolves murder. Because he, he flat out said, I absolve you, my son. Well, I don't uh, think they do that. I don't know. Whatever. It, that's neat. I guess. I don't know. It was a sin, and I'll get into the the religious aspect of the, the scene. So, <laughs> All right. My other one was Pacino again, inconsolable at the death of his daughter at the end. The way he played, like, I just thought he played the scene well, where if this was going to happen, the shock and terror and... Yeah, that was good. But the problem was I didn't care that she was dead. <laughs> well, it was a bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Worst scene? Worst scene was everything at that opera. I, I just did not care. But the, it was, you had the one hitman holding up the, the twin, pretending like the twin was strangling him. And the other twin was like, hey, you got him. Great job. And then the hitman kills him. Yeah. It was, it was stupid. It was dumb. All right. My worst scene is the love scene with... Uh, Sophia oh, oh Coppola God. and Andy, Andy Garcia. I forgot about that. So, so hey, let no, me ask you a question. I, I need to understand why. Why does Andy Garcia tell Sophia Coppola to hold him? He says, hold me but when weird. they're making out. But it was weird. Like, yeah, like it didn't fit. Why? Know, why, why would you say that? Why did they have to rub their fingers together and make gnocchi? <laughs> well, also, <laughs> I, I'm a, I've never asked a woman to hold me before. I mean, is that I, not a feminine thing to say? I, I guess, like, in if, if you were having a moment of like, like Pure depression passion. or like, uh. no, I'm saying like depression, like like you've lost yourself and you and you need comfort or strength from someone, maybe. But this was clearly just a hookup. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's a little nowadays weird. the girl would have looked at him like, uh, nah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so best role, you have to say uh, someone. Uh, it's just Al Pacino. I don't know. 
because yeah, I I thought Pacino did a good job. Yeah, he did, he was he was, he was teetering. Me, he, was, he was teetering on being the Al Pacino that nobody likes. He had his moments. Uh, that that the one quote saved him for me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Worst role. I mean, do, do we even need to discuss this? Well, you you say it. It was Mary. Okay, so Sofia Coppola, yes, but also Joey Saza. I just I don't I didn't like his whole demeanor. <sighs> I'm, I. I didn't hate him nearly as much as Sophia Coppola because she, like, it was just so obvious. Like, my daughter, she wants to be famous. I'm going to make her famous. And it's like, but your daughter can't be famous. I'm sorry. All right. Most quotable lines? Just when I thought I was out, they sucked me back in. I don't even know if that's the right they line. They pulled me back in. They pulled in. me back in. There it is. All right. So my, that that's obviously, like, the most memorable line of the entire movie. However, my favorite dialogue in the movie is when vincent and joey zaza are in michael's office <laughs> and vincent's like he's so he's he's like blind with with rage so he's like uh michael's like what does all this have to do with me he's like well he goes behind your back saying fuck michael corleone that's what that's one thing it's got to do with the uncle <laughs> michael and he turns to zaza he's like come on say it to his face one time one time say it to his face <laughs> But that, that just reminds me how much I hated how angry Andy Garcia was. I, mean, I guess it made sense, I don't though. like Andy Garcia. Yeah, so. but it made sense. He was Sonny's son. Sonny was a hothead, so yeah, he had to be a hothead. So I guess that made sense. That's it. And then Michael jumps in his chair, and he's like, hothead, just like his father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So actually, one of my favorite lines, and I just saw it, I forgot about it, was Kay. Uh, when Michael goes to Kay, and he's like, why do you hate me? And, and she goes, no, I don't hate you. I dread you. And yeah. I thought she delivered the line so perfectly. I thought that line was very powerful, well-written. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say about this movie. It was trash. I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to become a fan of The Godfathers now. Now what you need to do is now you need to watch the saga, okay? So what the saga is is part one and two in chronological order. That actually sounds like a lot of fun. It, it's not only is it fun, it's amazing. And it has a handful of deleted scenes in there. It's really, really good. Eh, I'm on board. So next time we watch The Godfather, it'll be the saga. Sounds good. All right. Number one. Oh, yeah. Kindergarten Cop. Grossing. $91.4 million. Now, more than ever. To be a teacher requires patience, kindness, and understanding. Fortunately, Astoria Elementary has just hired such an individual. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Kindergarten Cop. Kindergarten is like the ocean. You don't want to turn your back on it. Don't worry. Everything is under control. No. He's an undercover detective. I assume you have some teaching experience. They wouldn't have sent me otherwise. Assigned to find a mother and son. Did Danny ever say what Crisp's wife looked like? Before a killer does. First, I would like to just get to know you. <laughs> a male kindergarten teacher. That's unusual. He's been trained to shoot. What made you become a kindergarten teacher? He's been trained to fight. But there are some things... You mean you eat other people's lunches? Stop it! He's never been trained to handle. They're walking all over me. Listen, Kimball, you gotta handle this like any other police situation. You're going to be my deputy trainees. 
You're not gonna have your mommy's son behind you anymore and wipe your little douches. You're mine now. I'm not a policeman. I'm a princess. Arnold Schwarzenegger. You hit the kid, I hit you. Wow. In an Ivan Reitman film. Are you married, Mr. Kimball? No, I'm not. He's not married, Mom! Welcome to Astoria, the single parent capital of America. You got a little mustache. Must be from the milk. <laughs> Kindergarten Cop. All right. So this was when, easily the most fun movie. Yes. When we talk about movies as to why we're doing this podcast, okay, this is one of those movies for me. Kindergarten Cop. Is it a great film? No, absolutely not. But is this a movie that was watched countless times in my childhood? Yes. Was it a rainy Sunday? Was I watching Kindergarten Cop? Yes. Was I homesick from school? Was I watching Kindergarten Cop? Yes, I was. <laughs> if this movie was on, if I was scrolling through the blue channel guide on channel 13 oh, nice. and I saw Kindergarten Cop on the screen, I ran to that channel. Nice right? callback. This, this movie is everything that a movie for children should be. Yes. And I, I don't even think it was made for children, but it should be for children. Well, so the first like 20, 25 minutes are, are kind of, it's not dark, but it, it's, it's like a, a serious dark. movie. <laughs> when he storms the drug den, oh. everything about that scene is just pure Arnold amazement. All right. So let's give the plot. Um, Detective John Kimball is after this guy, Crisp, right? Yep. Which, by the way, this is my only issue with this whole movie is you have no idea who Crisp is what he's done, why he's evil, yeah. or why John Kimball's after him. They just, never tell you. They never tell you anything. They don't allude to it. They give you nothing. He's just super evil. Yeah. <laughs> so Detective John Kimball's after this guy, Crisp. Uh, he, he gets him locked up, but he gets out on a technicality about something or another. And basically what happens is they have to find Crisp's ex-wife who ran away with $3 million of his dollars. And it leads them to this small town in Aurora. I think it's Aurora oregon yeah something like that and he uh his partner phoebe is supposed to be the kindergarten teacher of where they think the son is now in kindergarten yeah but she gets sick she gets so, a stomach virus and so then, now arnold has to be the kindergarten cop and okay. that's pretty much the plot of the movie <laughs> that's the entire plot of the movie so a ton of one-liners from this i mean but only in the first half hour i i remembered like maybe it was like the first hour but like after there's a point where the one-liners just stop and never happen again but yeah. they're amazing so uh, arnie in this movie is from austria I thought that was amazing. Yeah, they let him just be Arnie. Exactly. Like, <laughs> why can't they do that in every movie? Why do we have to pretend that he's like from like Kentucky or something? <laughs> I don't think they ever do. He, he, so I, this, I think he's just the only movie where they actually mention that he's from Austria. So in the opening scene in the mall, Arnie's beard. Fantastic. Fantastic so scruff. Dirt. He just looks so just out of touch with reality. I wrote down sick beard, sick hair, aggressively 90s. <laughs> So they're running through the mall, and I love this is one of the best lines. He goes, I'm going to cop you idiots. That one didn't run through the mall. He's got crisp at the, the nail salon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, the, and apparently in the 90s, uh, mall cops ha actually carried guns. I guess. <laughs> oh. they, they pull the gun. He's like, I'm going to cop you idiots. <laughs> or shortly after that, the scene where he breaks into the uh, the drug den. 
And they're like, who are you? He's like, I'm the party pooper. But you're skipping so many good lines. And that's a great one. Go ahead. Go back. <laughs> when he first, first pulls up to the... Uh, he first pulls up to the drug den, and there's a guy like giving him a hard time. He basically like bashes the guy in the face with the back of his gun. He takes the gun, he cocks it as this this one guy's sitting on the hood of his car, and he goes, "I'm Detective John Gimble, and I love my car." <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, I'm, "I'm gonna take care of it for you. I got you. I got you. It's a nice car." That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. How many? How many? I I, I want to count them one time in in some movie. The da ah, like all the all like the Arnie yells and grunts. His physical acting, just in those grunts, they make every one of his movies. It's 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 so it's we so talked about this during uh, Total yeah, Recall. Yeah, Total Recall. How about the fact that he put out Total Recall, then six months later, Kindergarten Cop. Yeah, it's a good year for him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so he he breaks into the drug den and just starts blowing people away. Like he's missing a lot, but he's trying to kill everybody. I like that too. <laughs> and they're just like they, uh, I don't know. I, I guess there was a gunfight, right? Like, but when he got upstairs, weren't they like just hanging out doing drugs? Yes. <laughs> there was no need for him to shoot everybody. I don't even think they had guns. <laughs> so, I, so this is actually a pretty good scene. So he walks in. He's like, "I'm the party mover," right? And he finally finds the girl that was witnessed Chris murder someone. Okay, so we do have one reason why he's a bad guy. Um, so yeah, okay. She's like all mad at him. She says, "Don't you have another life?" He goes, "You don't understand. I have nothing else to do and nowhere else to go." <laughs> I went hard German on that. Arnie doesn't sound like that, but I tried. It's fine. It was good enough. It's passable. So then, after that scene, they take the chicken, she points out Crisp, whatever, and then she gets murdered and Crisp gets released. And then suddenly, the tone of the movie just changes. Yeah. It's like, I think it was like 25 minutes in. Yeah, I wrote 25. So yeah, so then the tone just changes. So we went from this, like, uh, this cop, like... Yeah, it's like a gritty, gritty crime movie. (laughs) And it just turns over to this childhood comedy. And I love it. I think that's when the movie gets really good, though. Like the the beginning scenes in the classes. Absolutely, every scene with Arnie with the kids is so phenomenal because, like, it shouldn't work, it shouldn't make sense, and it makes perfect sense and is amazing. So then we so we start to get the good one liners, the really good one liners, the memorable ones, in my opinion. And then he's like, so I like when they go out to dinner after his partner gets better, and they're out like by the dock or whatever, and he starts confessing. He's like. They're walking all over me. She's like, who? He's like, the kids. I actually had that as a best scene because like, when, whenever Arnold can, can actually elicit some emotion, yeah. it's good. Yeah. And it wasn't the only time in the movie either. But again, you skipped over so many good parts. Well, go back. Movie. Go ahead. I'll let you take control. So when he first gets into the kindergarten classroom and, and there's just this one kid who's just got this obsession with people <laughs> being dead. It's just every chance the kid gets. Did he die? (laughs) Did she die? (laughs) I saw. I knew they were dead. (laughs) (laughs) Or the little kid whose father's a gynecologist. (laughs) He looks at girls' vaginas all day long. (laughs) How about the? How about all right? So we're we're talking about obviously the scene with with who is your daddy and what does he do? But even for 1990, the twins. Our mom says our dad's a real sex machine. Like, a, why is your mother saying that? And then when you B, ask, it wasn't funny. And then wait, so what? You the two kids asked their mother what their father does, and that was her response. That's terrible parenting. I mean, well, that might be the 
what they're going for, I guess. I don't know. Um, I really like to see, like, okay, so you skipped over when he first really meets the kids. Yeah. And he can't control them yes. at all. And yeah. they, he he loses his mind. And he's like, shut up, shut up, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> and every kid starts crying hysterically. That is great. But that's not even the part I think is great. Just being a teacher myself, when he walks out of the classroom, <laughs> leaves a bunch of five-year-olds by themselves to run out to his car, which for some reason he parked like three miles from the school, <laughs> to get his ferret that he left in the car, apparently, and bring it back in. And I think you get another great line there. when they go, What happened to your dog? <laughs> <laughs> it's not the dog. It's a ferret. See <laughs> And then he, I like how he says, even Arnie can't, he says something and can't control kids in real life. So he's telling them to pet the thing one at a time, but yet he's got like four kids petting it at <laughs> and once. And he's like, that's, that's good. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah, good. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And they're all like, every hand is on the phone. Yeah, that was good. Oh, man. What was your daddy and what does he do? All right. That's one of my favorite lines, <sighs> by the way. What's the matter? I got a headache. It's a, maybe it's a tumor. <laughs> it's not the tumor. I have a headache. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Another great scene. And right after that, the fire alarm goes off. And Arnold starts freaking out because he doesn't realize it's a fire drill. Yeah. And all the kids are going crazy. He grabs like 500 each arm. And they come running out. <laughs> screaming and yelling. Right, let's hit some categories. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm no, just no, no. I'm good. Going so hard no, I'm, I'm on board with it. I like this movie. But I, just, I think if we hit some categories, we'll come across some other stuff too. So my favorite scene is the who is your daddy and what does he do scene. Now we're going to do something extremely fun. We're going to play a wonderful game called Who is my daddy and what does he do? It's definitely a top scene. I have like 12 best scenes and I'm just going to go with one that I haven't mentioned yet. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to go with the police school. Yes, that was good. I just Okay, so let's see what I wrote here. So again, I felt like Arnold showed a lot of emotional range here. Like he wasn't just being... Big bad Arnold. He was being big bad Arnold, but at the same rate was showing that he cared for the kids and he was believable. And I don't know if you get this level of acting, not that it's a high level of acting, but I don't think you get this level of acting from Arnold in any of his movies. And I think like, honestly, this might be his most well acted movie to date. I guess you could say that like up until this point. Yeah. I really like that. Um, I was invested in all of his success. Like just, just watching him go from like, Big bad Arnold to just caregiver. I, I was really, really just rooting for him and loving it. I love the, the One, uh, in that two, three, four. The what I like in the same scene with the little girl, where she he's like she's like I'm not a policeman, I'm a princess, and she keeps on saying it until he finally raises his voice and she's like, okay, okay. <laughs> I also like, it's like put it back. When the kids in this. They got all the lunch boxes open. He's just eating all the lunches. <laughs> and he picks the kid up by the scruff of his neck. He goes, are these your lunches? And the kid shakes his head. No, he goes, then why are you eating them? <laughs> and he just drops them on the floor from like five feet up. Are these all your lunches? You mean you eat other people's lunches? Stop it! Oh, 
god, that was so good. This whole movie was just amazing. All right, so that was my best scene. Worst scene? Worst scene was the fiance, like when he gets back and the, like the fiance's naked and everyone's running around. Just a stupid gag, in my opinion. Oh, with uh, when her, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't make that very clear. So he, he gets home from working at the back kindergarten. Back to the hotel. Back room. to the hotel. He's sharing with his partner, and the partner's there with her fiance, and like they're naked. Okay, fine, great, but it's just this ongoing, like I'd say, three minute gag of him being naked, trying to cover himself up, ending with him in a pink robe. Yeah, it was unnecessary. Um, I I I couldn't really find a worse scene. That's I, why I had to pick that. Yeah, I was going to say that, but it didn't really bother me. So. I, I would also say anything with Crisp. Yeah, I he don't was, like he him. He was bad. I don't like him as a character. And his wig was just awful. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> That's a weird choice. And why was his mom so involved? I don't... She's like, <laughs> it's so... It's his character, his mother's character. It's just so unclear. Yeah, well, then... I like when they they go they finally find out where the exes live and they go there they immediately go to a, a drugstore she's buying all this stuff and it kind of gave like some in, unnecessary insight but insight nonetheless into like his life as a kid yeah and he's like he's like I, you crammed all this stuff down my throat when I was a kid and there was nothing wrong with me that's why there was nothing wrong with you and then he looks at the pharmacist he's like how can you argue with that <laughs> it was weird but whatever. And it was also weird when he buys the toy but like he has to beat the guy up for the toy like just let's let's just show how evil he is yeah that was silly yeah. uh, he he insisted on giving the guy more than what the toy was worth just so he could give it to his kid but just buy the kid another toy nah. what's the difference it's got to be that toy yeah whatever all right so best role best role i said the kids i i just because I, it's definitely you Arnold. Be on, you it's it's Arnold. Yeah. It's, but but the kids, I just thought they did such a good job. Like from the the kid with the talking about his gynecologist dad to the girl who's a princess to uh, even the son in the in the movie. What was his name? I don't even Dominic. Even, Dominic. I thought that kid did a pretty good job for a five year old. They two of them, by the way. Oh, twins. Yeah, twins. Basil. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. My best role was Arnie for sure. Uh, the worst role I, I I tried hard to find somebody that I I thought Crisp, did a bad job. The guy playing Crisp, I think he did a bad no, no, job. Not him. I don't think he did a bad job. I just thought the whole role was poorly written. Like, give me a little more depth about why he's so evil, please. Yeah. Because like, you're he needed backstory. You want to establish how evil he is. So you do want to hate stupid him. Stupid things like to make him evil. Great. Yeah. You're showing that he's evil, but I still don't know why he's evil. Like, yeah. is he a, is he a mobster? Is he just a bank robber? Is he just a murderer? Like, what the hell is he? Is a drug he? dealer? Yeah, like, I have no idea what he is. Yeah. He could have used a little bit of backstory to make, make us hate him. Oh, by the way, I also loved, loved the principal. Oh, yeah. She, she's, Linda Hunt? Yeah. She was fantastic. She did a good job. Because she, her, like, she is the tiniest woman I've ever seen in my life. Standing next to Arnold makes her even tinier. And she still was able to take the presence away from Arnold. And yeah. I was so amazed by that. Like, so I was just so impressed by her. Yeah, that she did it. She did a good job for sure. And the scene when Arnold beats up the abusive dad. Yes. And then he comes in and the principal, he thinks he's about to get like, he screamed at and she's like, how did it feel? And he walks out and she starts like shadow boxing. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> All right, so most quotable line, we did I a bunch of them. Eight thousand, so I don't think we need to do. I want to add one more. When they're on the plane and and the yeah uh, the partner's sick, and the stewardess comes over and he she asks, "Is your wife okay?" And he goes, "His response is compared to what?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good because it's not a typical Arnie line. No. I also like too, like uh, when Phoebe's sick in the bed, 
and Arnold's finally realizing he's going to have to go. And, and she's telling him, she's like, oh, take the gun off. You can't go with the gun. And he's like, the bunch of sixth grade, the six year olds, what are they going to do? And she's like, on second thought, take the gun. <laughs> it was very, I thought this movie all around was, this is definitely a good Friday night. Watch with your family movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, we actually, I watched it with my four-year-old nephew. I had to, fi- I had to send him out of the room for the first twenty minutes, but we brought him back in once he was in kindergarten. It was great. <laughs> That's good. All right, this one I would definitely watch again for sure. This is a definitely background. I will watch this movie anytime it's on, every year at least once, forever and ever. I can't wait to show my children. All right, this is this is for me. This is a watch with your family or background while you're. Or just always watch it <laughs> on repeat. Okay, that's fine. Put it on right now. <laughs> I'd watch it. I would. All right, man. We did it. Year one out of the way. 1990. Come. That's a wrap. Recap episode coming soon. Yep. Uh, it was good. And I have some ideas on how to make uh, next season even better. So we'll add the some more The movies get stuff. better. I think... You know? We've gotten better. The sound quality's gotten better. We're still working on it. The movie's gotten better. So all around, and we'll implement some new ideas for some fun stuff for next season. So that's it. That's it. All right. Thanks for listening.